What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Recording in January of 2021 for episodes that will probably be coming out in February is a weird tenant experience, everyone, because we are in a present and you are listening in the future. And we hope that where you are listening is better <laughs> than what is happening. <laughs> We hope that it's better there. We're, we're, we're longing for you to tell us it's better there. But good news is, I have a wonderful guest in our Her living room. Former labor organizer, now stand-up comedian, writer, actor, one of Variety's 10 comics to watch for 2020, writer for Last Man Standing, creator of Comedy Crossing, a hit stand-up comedy show held inside of the Animal Crossing video game, Welcome, y'all, Jenny Yang, to the podcast. Woo! <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm going to need that intro for everything I do. Thank you. I felt the energy. <laughs> I got I to gotta give it to I, you, Jenny. Up. You know, we don't have the live audience, you know, so I just got to give you those, <laughs> those hand claps that we, we loved. We loved when we could have those hand claps, Jenny. I felt it. I felt the intro. I was like, who is she talking about? She sounds impressive. <laughs> Y'all, so I have to tell y'all, 
I I almost like I felt like jubilation and like a little bit of tear in my eye when like Jenny's face came up on Zoom because the last time I saw Jenny, we were staying in one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed in. Like I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I took a video of that hotel suite because <laughs> I was like, I want to have proof that I was in a room like this. And Jenny and I and some other women from Makers, we all just leaned up against a bar and talked late into the night and mm-hmm. felt each other's breath. And wow. Wow. It was magical. I mean, I feel like that's what a conference is for, especially when you pull together the right people, right? Yeah. You just naturally find affinity. You naturally find inspiration. Um, the liquor didn't hurt. You know what I mean? Look. But like, it was great. And and I, I, I really appreciated that like a, around a large kind of hotel lobby lounge, you just naturally gravitate toward people's energy. And you're one of those people. And that's what's been really nice to check in with you basically a year later, man, look, listen, this was right before the pandemic hit. And so you were one of my, my last memories of a a large gathering. Right. And I want to say you and I also had on like our power pink blazers that evening. I think (laughs) we we did. It was not like the exact same blazer, but the color was like right in there. And I felt the vibes and (laughs) y'all, I have to tell y'all, Getting to see Jenny Yang perform live and especially in a room like where we were, because it's sort of a mix of like different industry people. You know, there are people there who are very corporate businessy, people who are into politics. Very corporate. It's just very like cross-section of people, but it was it was a little a little tight in the room, I would say. And y'all, Jenny. You mean they're you mean they're sphincters? Well, <clears throat> could have been. Some was tight that their <laughs> their their clavicles, something of their natures was tied up in there, Jenny. And y'all, when I tell y'all Jenny walked up in there with her power blazer and she was like, I don't care. Y'all, y'all can be like that if y'all want to be like that. I'm gonna come in here and be myself. And I was like, I walked by and saw her at the bar and was like, must stop and talk. (laughs) (laughs) I had to stop and talk, I love that. What a compliment. Yeah, I mean, it was so corporate. Everyone, you know, it was the first day of the conference. Everyone was tired from traveling and getting in. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. You all are just thinking about all the emails you're trying to catch up on after this, aren't you? You know, and it was, uh, it was a lot of like, power suit women, like not even power suit women, you know, the kind of women you, you look at their outfit and you're like, this is tens of thousands of dollars that on your part. body right now. And mm-hmm. I'm like, right. And mm-hmm. and I didn't grow up around that. I, I have been in spaces where now I recognize what that looks like, but that was, you know, a little intimidating. But I think what I, what I learned is uh, corporate folks, they, they want to keep a certain decorum, but I'm a comedian. I was doing stand up and, uh, you know, it was a nice challenge. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. <laughs> you stepped to you stepped up to it though. You really did. I was like, I was like, I want to talk to her more. And then we sat sat at the bar, y'all, for until I almost couldn't keep my eyes open standing there talking with mm-hmm. Jenny and Milk was with us. We were having just a wonderful time. So Jenny, thank you for joining me on the podcast for 
one of my She Funny episodes because you funny, girl. And I can't wait for you to tell us all of the process. So I want to start with what's your earliest memory of discovering comedy? Was it in your family? Was it something that you watched? What's your earliest moment where you either remember seeing someone being funny or that you realized you could be funny? Oh, goodness. You know, I I feel like whenever anyone asks me, oh, how did you decide to become a comedian? You know, I'm always like, listen, I did not grow up a little immigrant girl from Taiwan with my round ass Chinese face with people telling me you should make a living from doing comedy. You know, a lot of women don't get told this. Um, I was just out there trying to do good grades. But my earliest memory of, of comedy and just being obsessed with comedy was actually, you know, uh, watching a VHS tape of the best of SNL with Eddie Murphy. Yes. That my old, that my older brothers, my older brothers are like 10 years and nine years older than me. And so I was just watching things that were probably, you know, inappropriate. But as a little child, in elementary school, I still understood what was funny. And Eddie Murphy was hilarious to me. And I don't even understand how I understood the, the race um, kind of uh, politics of the the comedy he was doing. I don't know if y'all are familiar, but, you know, when Eddie Murphy was was on Saturday Night Live, he did a white face. And, and, you know, right. to, to, to spoof That's white, right. a black like me, but he was white like me. And there was a whole bit about that, that that was hilarious to me, even as a child. You know, he did Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, right? right? You know, being Mr. Rogers, but but being in the hood, you know, and 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 changing the lyrics and doing a puppet show where he was, you know, a black middle finger with hair, an afro on it, you know, talking back to a little puppet of Ronald Reagan. Like, that blew my mind, even as a child. And who knew, maybe that's why, you know, in the future, that was just what was to come. I would, you know, be more into politics and recognize social justice issues. But man, back then, I thought it was hilarious. I memorized it. To this day, I still remember word for word some of the bits that Eddie Murphy did. And so, you know, I that's really my earliest memory. A- as far as whether or not I decided I could, you know, do that stuff, I feel like I became a little bit of a class clown, even though I was a straight-A student, you know. But, but you know, never... Does a does a young girl think, oh, someday I'm going to be, you know, a professional comedian or work in comedy? You know what I mean? So, but yeah, no, shout out to Eddie Murphy. I wish to meet him someday. Yo, I, I join you in your shout out because Eddie Murphy is definitely one of the reasons why I'm a stage performer today. I told this in an earlier yeah. episode, but I mean, I was, he killed I, was I was watching that. I mean, I don't know how this is for generations Raw? of kids now delirious that was mine that I was probably like a fifth grader watching that I don't know what it's like now for kids that are like super protected with the parental controls because apparently (laughs) we didn't have that (laughs) growing up so I watched all sorts of things I watched comic relief when like Billy Crystal and uh, Robin Williams were doing uh comic the comic relief series on HBO I was watching that as a child so course, there's some things I'm sure that were like way too like a kid should be watching. But just getting to see that and being like, huh, you can have a job where you're standing there with a microphone and just captivating people for however long with your stories. Yeah, sign me up for that. So shout out to Eddie Murphy 
and for us being exposed to Eddie Murphy as children before we were probably supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like if, if you're listening, think about when you discovered you were funny. You know what I mean? Or you discovered you could make someone laugh because I think for me, you know, making people laugh was not thought about in its own isolated way. It was more like, wait, I can make people laugh. That's powerful. That's power. I, you know, I saw it as just one of the tools, you know what I mean? To be persuasive, to get people's attention, to get what I want, you know? And so I, you know, it wasn't until much later that I decided, yes, this could be a profession. But to, I, to me, I feel like it's important as women too, you know, to think about how, when did we decide that, you know, we had access to a tool that made us powerful? Mm, I love that. I love that because you are, mm-hmm sort of in control of the room there when you get up there and that's you on the microphone, even as a comedic Mm -hmm. writer, you are the one coming up with these ideas that are going to make people laugh. These ideas that all of this crew, you know, has to sort of surround these ideas that you write. I mean, I think that is a fantastic observation that that is power, that we have the (laughs) opportunity to do that. It is. Well, you're a poet and you perform as a poet, right? And I actually used to be, uh, I actually used to perform poetry before I did comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was either really silly or really emotional. But, you know, I, I liked being able to get people to receive a message think about things I want them to think about that I think they should care about, you know, move them. And so to me, doing comedy was um, just another way to do that, you know? What was your entry point? Was it an open mic? Did you start there as far as when you started making a foray into trying it out? Was the open mic your first, let me see how this is going? When I think about how I was able to play creatively and be funny, in general, it was definitely school. That was like the mm. school, the, the the socially sanctioned arena to use humor to excel and be creative. So I'm doing extra credit projects, but it, but it wasn't until um, you know I was working for a number of years, moving up very quickly to becoming a director in the labor movement. I, we used to represent eighty five thousand you know, public service workers in Southern California. Um, And I was making six figures. I was making a good living, but I was so burnt out. I was a director, but the people I looked up to, I no longer admired them. You know, I no longer respected them, the people that I worked for. And so I was like, this is only, this can last only so long. So um, I had my own sort of come to Jesus moment, so to speak, but, you know, come to comedy moment where I was like, ah, ah, I, I, I need to just accept that I'm an artist. And, 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 and it was like literally a night where I got so emotional and I had to, I, I never took on the label of a writer or poet, even though around Los Angeles, I was actually known to perform. And, you know, um, so it was that night that I was like, okay, Jenny, you need to stop putting up these blocks accept this identity of being a creative and being open to creative opportunities and other people who have been reflecting back to you that you are someone who is this type of person, you know? So it was because of that, that I finally heard the message many times from before, Jenny, you're so funny. You're like a comedian. And I was like, oh, okay. Finally, the 25th time I heard that, I said, I'm going to go do uh, open mic stand-up comedy. That's, a, that's how you start. You just go to an open mic right? Where no one had to book you. You just show up and try to do something that moves people. And, uh, and that's, that's where it started. And, and it was, I was going to poop my pants. 
but it was my first time in a long time that I felt like, wow, this made me really nervous. I really cared about this. Why do I care about this? And I know that if I can get good at this, it can be very powerful because it's very freeing and creative. So that, that's what happened. Um, I went to a very familiar space in LA called Tuesday Night Project, where I was an associate artist as a poet. And I said, guess what, guys? I'm going to try to do stand-up comedy today, even though you usually see me do poetry. Uh, it was awful. I have tape of it somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, that's what happened. But yes, open mic. That's That was my first experience. See, I was going to ask you, was your first time awful or did it go amazing? Because so far in interviewing and just talking with other comedians, it's sort of, you know, to overgeneralize, it's this divide down the middle, right? Where there were some comedians that their first time on stage, they felt like they were flying. They did amazing. Everyone clapped. And then that next time was when they bombed. <laughs> They were like, oh, for wait, sure. No, you know, I've and heard that. There are some comedians I talk with that are like, well, I went out there and the first time went terrible, but it also inspired me to keep going, to keep writing. So it's it's interesting to hear you say that like it felt awful. <laughs> you would look back on it now anyway and think like <laughs> this was awful, but it inspired you enough to keep going. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's like one of those things, you know, like um, I feel like we need to learn how to read our own instrument, if that makes sense. Like sometimes something might feel bad, but that word is so blunt to describe a whole host of signals in our bodies. You know, it felt awful. I was going to, I felt like I was going to throw up from the nervousness, but there was something behind it that I sensed that was deeper. You know, that wasn't just my nervous system. That was like, oh man, if I could get past this nervous part, I could really like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could be very gratified by this. And so just think, just thankfully, I somehow saw through it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I've, I've, I've actually never thought about this for what my first time was doing poetry at an open mic, but I would venture to say it was also awful. But I think the terrible <laughs> part is that I thought I was amazing. Like I thought I was going to <gasps> really blow those people away. Like I was like, Ooh, like <laughs> they are going to be so glad I came here tonight. They're going to be, woo. They're going to be ready to hear more from me. And then it was like, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, you sign up on the list. Well, then you're there listening to everyone else until, you know, the MC calls you. And so I think as the night wore on and I was hearing mm. more and more amazing poetry then it was like I don't know that may have been my first time really having like a collective of other people to compare my work to whereas where I was from I was like mostly the only poet or one of a small number of poets that people knew so to go from that to I'm in this room where like most people here are poets and they were so amazing I was like oh no I don't know if I should have signed up I don't know if I'm gonna be as good as I thought and there was no way to get off the list the MC would not let you remove your name. And so I went and I did yep. my little things and it did not go well. It did not go well. It was actually a pretty embarrassing experience. But to your point, Jenny, I remember leaving and more than I felt embarrassed, I felt like I can get better. If I keep coming mm. to a space like this, I can get better. Like I can learn how to write better, not to be like what I saw, but to be better as me. 
as whatever I would sound like, you know, whatever my voice would be. Yeah. That was inspiring enough to go back and obviously get embarrassed a bunch more times, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But what a gift, you know, there's something about people who are performers or who are artists. It's like, what is it about you that makes you feel like you can, you can, like push through the embarrassment or the mortification or the not doing great the first time. (laughs) It's wild. It's wild. It's a wild thing. I'm like, I don't know if it's like the other (laughs) side of the ego that's there or what, but it's like, wow, that just went terrible. Do you guys do this again next week? Because I would love to. (laughs) I'd love to come back. yet again. (laughs) Yeah, and just be utterly embarrassed again. I'd love to do that until one day I'm not. But then... It's like the payoff of eventually continuing to go, continuing to go, and then getting to the point where you get in front of the audience and you're like, oh, that worked. That thing I wrote, it Mm -hmm. worked on stage. I mean, that gratification to me is worth a bunch of times of being embarrassed. (laughs) Well, then then that's what makes you you. You know, (laughs) other people would not like that. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, It's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Okay, Jenny, this is what I need to talk to you about because, you know, y'all y'all know that the algorithms on Instagram are terrible. Um, so sometimes, like, you miss out on all the amazing things people are doing. But let me tell y'all, Jenny Yang was coming up in all my algorithms on Instagram, honey. And I was like, Jenny, <laughs> you better figure out some ways to engage the people in comedy when we can't be in person. And it was so inspiring to me to watch what you were doing because obviously there's a lot about this time of the pandemic that has just been horrible and terrible, you know, and I don't want to ignore those things at all. I want to also say, and there have been some things about a lot of us having a collective experience of the quarantine and this collective experience of being away from our loved ones or having to be cautious about how we visit our loved ones. There was some things about that collective experience that I think brought us together, but also brought some opportunities to to innovate, to think of new ways to do things, you know? And if we weren't in a pandemic, then we all probably would have been gathered in different venues, you know, performing. A lot of us that are on the road would have been doing that. And when I started seeing the, first of all, there was two things that you were doing that I was like, Jenny, Yes, honey. Okay. Number one, when I tell y'all between Twitter and Instagram, Jenny is not here for the games. Okay. There was some commentary on your social media that I was like, Jenny, I just, I live. I live for the commentary. I'm here for everything about this. The threads. There were some threads Jenny was doing on Twitter that I was like, Jenny, I live for this. So first of all, let's talk about comedy as resistance, which I think you coming from, you know, a labor organizer background, I feel like that seems to be something that was inherent in your work, you know, anyway. But in particular, that we're in the middle of a pandemic that's also a global uprising, that we're watching Oh yes, everyone, you know, I can't say everyone, we're watching a lot of people fighting, fighting for justice in the streets protesting, getting arrested, putting their lives at risk. Like, that's how important justice was to them. And to see also that your voice as a comedian can be a part of speaking up, can be a part of the uprising. So talk to me about, is that a part of your comedic process or just you as a person in general that you see the comedic voice also being a part of justice. And then what was that like now having to use a different microphone on social media, maybe Mm. not having events and different things that we were used to? Like, talk to me about what that process was like for you. Yeah. First of all, thank you. That is such a nice way of describing what I've been doing. To me, it's just, um, you know, me trying to delight people. But 
obviously to me to me also i want people to think about things that i want them to think about that i care about that i think the world should care about and so i think every comedian will tell you the bottom line is can you make people laugh can you entertain them if you can do that then great then you're a comedian but beyond that there's just so many ways that you could be right just so you know that's why it's 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 like uh you know Hari Kondabolu another comedian that i really love you know he says you know t- you don't you never say do you love comedy of course you love comedy you love to laugh but it's just like saying do you like music of course you like music do you like heavy metal do you like speed metal do you like hip hop you know what i'm saying so there's just different ways to be a comedian and for me my preferred form of comedy is one where um you know there's some thinking behind it in terms of what the social consequences are, right? Because that's what I care about. I care about trying to push things more toward the side of justice rather than not, mm. okay? Whether that's through a tiny tweet or whatever, you know? Sometimes it's just a silly thing about, you know, me missing eating bread. I don't know, right? But but to me, it's like, it's kind of like that spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. If you have that sugar, which is the the sweetness of laughter, sometimes the things that are really tough that are important to talk about can be received, you know? And so that's that's what I think is is beautiful about comedy. And, and as a form of resistance, it cuts through the clutter. I, you know, I feel like, you know, when you're able to get to people's physical response, visceral response of laughter, it cuts through the logic, right? It, it, it gets right to the heart of something. And so that's what's really powerful to me about comedy. Uh, now, I don't know what uh, Twitter threads you were talking about, but, you know, I personally felt it was very important to highlight the true absurdity of uh, racism or, you know, sort of inequality that became even more urgent and apparent during the pandemic. You know, it's, it's like, it's not that the, these, these issues weren't there before. It's just all eyes were on social media. Once everyone was at home, there was no other way to engage in real life. And, and we were all, you know, just socked away. What else could we do, but communicate online? And, and, and one of the things I wanted to do was just offer up a perspective where, you know, if shit was racist, maybe we talk about it. If the pandemic was happening and it's originated in China and you're out here calling it the Kung flu, China flu, maybe we need a, maybe we need to correct that. If you're using only stock photos of Asian people for your coronavirus, uh, you know, article, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should change it up, you know? Um, there's just all these tiny things that I just, you know, wanted to highlight. And uh, it's just, it's just my little part. Let's be honest. It's just one little drop, but um, that at least I feel like I can control that. Um, but the, yeah, so that's just simply the speaking out part, right? And then you asked about, um, you know, not being able to perform live, right? Basically, yeah. uh, and needing to, 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 to pivot, you know, doing stand-up comedy inherently is standing up in front of humans and having that back and forth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist without it. And it was so bleak, y'all. I don't know if any of you checked out a comedy show during the pandemic, to, especially at the beginning of it. But Instagram Live, when you have those two people on Instagram, is not a way to do it. There's mm-hmm. no audience. Who are you doing it to? Who are you telling a joke to? Just mm-hmm. one person who's barely laughing? No, that is not stand-up comedy. It is the saddest part of, it's like going back to open mics. It's like a hellhole of a of a sadness cave when you 
say something into the void and your your voice just dies, right? That's the point of comedy. You want that feedback. And so, um, you know, luckily or not, uh, a Zoom meeting ended up being the best platform for being able to have people unmuted and being able to laugh as if you're in the same room with them. And and that's what I did. I, I kind of tried different things for a month or so. And then just out of nowhere, decided to combine the desire to continue doing comedy with the thing that was saving me, which was a lot of other people between March and April of 2020, um, which is playing Animal Crossing, like the cutest little uh, Japanese game from Nintendo where you can actually invite your friends' little avatars. It's like Sims, but with cute Japanese characters onto your little island that you get to like decorate and farm, you know? And um, it, it was a tiny thing. It is a video game, but it was a saving grace for being able to stay connected with people. And I thought, wow, they sell little cartoon microphones and amps and you can like put up a, a you know, a, a red brick wall wallpaper on my basement. Let's make a comedy club and let's see what this looks like. Wow. Um, it all was happening in uh, uh, right around the time that George Floyd Jr. was murdered. Mm. And it just, we was going to be a free show anyway. And I said, well, the, the best thing we could do right now is let's make this a free show, but we're going to solicit donations where the majority of it goes to Black Lives Matter related causes. And you all remember every GoFundMe, every other bailout fund was happening at that time. And it, to me, just as a creator and as a producer, it felt empowering to just do my tiny part. You know what I mean? Yeah. To not feel helpless mm -hmm. because you're just sitting there watching this wallpaper of news wash over you. <laughs> and um, it, it was just a tiny way to use the tools that I had control of in order to offer something back. Oh, I love that. Like when I saw that you were doing a comedy show inside of Animal Crossing, I was like, Jenny, yes, honey. Yes. Yes. Because you know there's a bunch of comedians at home just chomping at the bit <laughs> to talk to somebody somewhere. Yes. And a bunch of people, you know, needing to access their joy, you know, in a time that was yes. really hard, still is, you know, for a lot of people, really, really hard stuff going on. And we can only mm -hmm. take in all that hard stuff so long before we're going to just lose our resilience. We need to access our joy. We need to sort of feel yes. that sense of camaraderie with other human beings and I loved that, Jenny. I just think it's so freaking innovative what you're doing. Oh, thank you. And, you know, I, I didn't know how long it would last or what the response was going to be, but the the, res the response was tremendous. You know, but we started at, at the beginning of June. We did two shows every month, ended it in, in you know, late November, and we raised uh, about $35,000 for Black Lives Matter related funds, nice. which... And, and, you know, average 250 to 700 people watching a Zoom meeting. You know what I mean? Twice a month. And, and I think what this says to me is people have such a hunger. If you just tap into it, you know, to, to support live comedy for one, but also feel like they can do something um, about uh, racial justice and anti-Black issues, you yeah. know? So... Yeah. I mean, I just, it was very, it was very inspiring to me the kind of, to get that energy during a time when we weren't able to feed off of the social energy, you know, in real life. Yeah. I was talking to a woman 
oh, I'm trying to think all the, you know how all the time I'm like, was it days? Was it months? Was it years ago? (laughs) (laughs) Time is elastic now. In another time before the television was invented, I was talking to someone. But anyway, I was was actually hosting a virtual event. And this woman I know is there talking. She's she's a community organizer. And she said something that I thought was really profound. She was talking about how, you know, normally in community organizing, you sort of have this staggered approach as to how long organizers stay sort of on the front line of the fight because you will inevitably burn out because you're just facing so much violence and aggression and different things. And I I really appreciated her sharing that with us because she was basically saying how like sometimes one person will have to go on the front line for a while and then their time will come that they have to go and like rest and replenish and that and then another person's time will come where like a team yes. of people they'll be on the front line together and I think we in in some many ways you know some some small tiny ways like you put it I feel like we were seeing that happen where there were some people that were just like I got too much grief going on. I got to like, I'm, I can't, I can't. And they had Mm -hmm. to take time to rest and replenish. And there were other people that could say, okay, here's like a thing I can do, you know? And I think that's powerful. Just the collective of community, we can have that way together, you know? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in the end, to me, when I pivoted from politics to uh, comedy and entertainment, it's all the same thing. We're, we're in the business of people, of organizing people, you know? And so how I saw it was, you know, whenever, whenever I have, whenever I have been a part of something where we are able to recognize our collective power, that it's not about just an individual, right? That we are stronger together. Um, that, that applies to building my career in comedy. That's obviously it's, it's to benefit me, but in the end, you know, that's why I organized stand-up comedy tours and comedy festivals, because I knew that number one, the morale boost of having peers with you to walk alongside you is helpful, but also, you know, that's how you develop. That's how you grow. That's how you grow your own audience. You know, I mean, it's all the same, like the way people use marketing terms to me is just, it's somewhat different, but it's very similar to if you do community organizing or political organizing. You know, it's about how do we get as many people together as possible to recognize a common interest and have a have a, a roadmap to a place of hope, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that's what that's what um, I've just used that technology, if you want to put it that way. You know what I mean? As a way of living and as a way of doing my work um, in anything I do. And so I would recommend it for most people. I hate marketing and business jargon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, same. Oh my gosh, please. I want to ask you about this too. One of the reasons why I'm just enjoying interviewing women of color like yourself that are working in comedy is because women of color are doing so many things in comedy, right? So I would love for you to talk about how does comedy show itself for you in your career? You have stand-up. I know you also write mm-hmm. as a comedian. Tell the people, what does that look like for you, the different facets of your career where you are working in comedy, but you have these different ways you may enter the space? Yeah, I mean, I feel like if we're talking brass tacks, first and foremost, I am a self-employed 
person, right? So I'm I'm just here to have multiple income streams. I'm here trying to, you know, feed this little seed over here, this little seed over there to to wait to see what might, you know, flower and grow, right? And so, um, and 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 I have no control over the timing of these things a lot of times. And so for me, when I started, it was a matter of, okay, what can I do to use all of my gifts in order to uh, be of service so that I may gain income, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of that's mm-hmm. how I kind of see it. And so, um, first of all, I used my leadership skills and producing skills that I had before, event organizing, facilitating, all of that um, to create uh, stand-up comedy tours and comedy festivals, even when I was still learning my stand-up comedy craft. You know, um, I also... Um, managed to then make money off of these live comedy shows. Then I was working on my own writing um, in order to possibly become a staff TV writer. Uh, But in the meantime, you put on your own table reads, you work on that, you, you know, show people your writing. Maybe you write shorter monologues versus longer TV shows. I eventually got on uh, a TV writing gigs. Um, But also in addition to performing live, I did a lot of digital video. So around 2013 was when I got really into BuzzFeed video. I knew someone who just had started the four-person department that was BuzzFeed video back then. And if you remember back then, that was actually when BuzzFeed, I used to call it the network television of the internet, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. it was one of the few first times that people were hearing so many different types of identities talking about these identities, right? Whether you're LGBTQ+, if you're, you know, Asian American, Latinx, et cetera. And so um, it was a very, uh, you know, opportune moment for me to be able to do some of their initial viral videos because then the college students who saw that recognized me, you know, invited me out to do college uh, touring. And I did that for a long time too. And so um, it it was, to me, it was about how do I try to go where I am needed? um, And, and no matter what it is, I am format agnostic. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not. Is it a tweet? I'll give you a tweet. Is it a digital video? I'll give you a digital video. You want an essay? Here, try this. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying like this is this is to me my mentality for how to you know make a living doing what I do. But I would say the the main thing though is my base of support from the beginning was my community mm-hmm. because that's what I was a part of. It's in a, a community that I was invested in, an Asian American creative you know, progressive community that came to my early shows, you know what I mean? Um, who bought the tickets, who were underserved in the mainstream media, which is why they were hungry to show up to a live event where it was an Asian American stand-up comedy tour. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that to me is the foundation of all of this. And so now I'm I'm fortunate enough to have been making a living in comedy, but it it all goes back to how do I sort of maintain multiple, right, hustles and multiple... Um, avenues to express myself and connect with people. Oh, I love that. I especially love the rootedness of what you said, that yes, (laughs) you have opportunity based on your talents and your skills to do all sorts of things in your career and that the rootedness of what you do comes from your community. Oh, I feel that, Jenny. I feel that. I feel that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I feel like we are such an individualistic culture in America yeah. that we often forget that how we rise is usually, you know, with and sometimes on the shoulders of others, right? Yeah. And so 
Um, I just, I just think it's important to acknowledge that because obviously I couldn't do what I do if people didn't support me. Yeah. I mean, and I find that to be true for a lot of women of color. It's like, we're, we're rooted in the people that we come from rooted in the people who yes. made it possible for us to do what we're doing. And I know for me that like it's it is the black women that raised me and those rooms I remember being yeah. in with their hips and everything else that gives me the stuff <laughs> to do what it is I'm doing. And I think it is important to, if you don't have that rootedness, to find that, whatever that looks like for you. But I find that a lot of women of color, we have that rootedness in our community. That is what, that's what gives us our wings, you know? Yeah, that's the strength. And I love, by the way, seeing now a lot of other Asian American comedians who, because of the racial justice organizing that had been happening through George Floyd Jr., through Black Lives Matter in 2020, you know, didn't recognize that they were a part of a community before. Until that these issues, you know, confronted their own identity and it made them realize, okay, there are these issues that I I care about and it has affected my life. This is how I connect with, uh, you know, black racial justice or anti-blackness. And, um, you know, they're out here showing the Asian American studies books that they're reading and, 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 you know, talking to other Asian American comedians more directly about how identity informs who we are. And so, I don't know, I just think, you know, I think to me, to have a meaningful career, that's not just, oh, I just need to be out here making money. You know what I mean? That adds to it. That's, it just adds layers to it. And, and, and the grounding, like you're saying, you know, it, I think it helps me to, to remember what's important. <laughs> yeah, right. No, completely. I work in Hollywood. I mean, uh, I work in Hollywood. <laughs> it's a fascinating place, you all. A fascinating place, Hollywood. Here's my closing question. So I always love to close with this question when I'm talking to women of color comedians. And I give Vanessa Fraction the credit for this. Uh, She is a wonderful Black woman comedian. And I had booked her for a show. And I was like, hey, you know, I get really like nervous about if everyone's like in the building. (laughs) You know, when we were doing live shows, I would be like, oh, can you please get here by such and such time? So I know like you're here and I'm not, you know, freaked out. And so I, I think she was supposed to go on around 9.30 or something. And I was like, girl, I can you get here at like 8 o'clock just so I know you're here? And she was like, can I just <laughs> get there at 9? Because sitting around is not good for the funny. So I wanted to ask mm. you, what is good for the funny? What's good for the funny for Jenny <gasps> Yang? Like, what's the, what's the stuff that you need to keep you inspired? What's the stuff that you need maybe before you sit down to write before you go on to perform. What's good for the funny for you? I'll, t- I'll tell you what's not good. A pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> pandemic That's is definitely not right good now. for the funny, honey. No, ma'am. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, I think, it, but in all seriousness, um, it's, it, I love that quote and that story because it's true. To me, um, comedy is energy. You know, it's movement. And so that's what I'm here for. You know, to me, when something's funny, it's because the energy is moving sideways. You know, it's always sideways. It's never direct. Um, And so, you know, I'll admit during the pandemic, it's been challenging to create. It's been challenging to write. And so um, I'm I'm just sort of been getting back into 
creating that sense of movement uh, in my life by having space for it. I think that's what it is. It's like, for me, it's really important to um, have either shows that I can do in order to sort of try things out or in terms of writing. Um, for me, it structure helps actually, mm -hmm. you know, to like have time to kind of be in my own thoughts, get rid of the clutter and then eventually kind of get at things. And then I'm also just a very social person. To me, you know, funny also happens just if you don't have an, a full audience uh, in a in a bar or in a club, at least have one person you can talk to. You know what I mean? That you you can kind of gauge reactions from. So that to me is sort of how I get at the funny. Jenny Yang, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for all of this wonderful, inspiring work that you are doing. I'm just all, I'm going to tell the people all of your links, all of the things, so they can go to there. <laughs> And watch these things. And maybe there will be a link where they can just also support with their wallets. We enjoy oh, that, that kind of support as well, people. So <laughs> you're going to go to the Jenny Yang links. You're also going to use the monies. If you have the monies, you're going to use the monies <laughs> and put the monies there. Listen, at Jenny Yang TV for everything. So yeah, I, I'm always online and I love talking to folks. So just... Hit me up. Thank you, Jenny. I hope y'all enjoyed my conversation with Jenny Yang as much as I enjoyed talking to her. I hope you enjoyed listening. Wasn't she an amazing guest into our living room? She's amazing, right? Make sure you check her out on her website, JennyYang.tv or on Twitter and Instagram at Jenny Yang TV. Check her out there. And if you are looking for links to any of the things that we talked about in the episode, definitely check out the show notes. Show notes are aminabrown.com slash her with Amina. You can go to there and get the notes from this episode or any of the episodes from the podcast in case you're looking for a book we talked about or a show we were talking about watching Links like that will be in the show notes. And I hope we are already friends on the interwebs. But if we're not, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amina B-E-E. -E. Be my friend. Slide into my DMs. I would love to hear from you. For this week's edition of Give Her a Crown, I want to give a crown to Whoopi Goldberg. When I was a kid, I watched Whoopi Goldberg's Broadway show on TV and I was mesmerized. It was just her and what looked like a white towel or a white piece of fabric that she used as a prop to become different characters during the show. I was especially impacted by the character who was a little Black girl who wished she had blonde hair and blue eyes, reminiscent of Toni Morrison's Bacola Breedlove in The Bluest Eye. I, too, knew what it felt like to feel like my skin and my hair would never be beautiful because they would never fit into a white standard of beauty. Not only did Whoopi's character speak to the messages I was being given about my own Blackness, but she also showed me the power of stage performance and what it meant to embody and love my Blackness. How one Black woman could express many characters and transition so seamlessly through them all. Several years ago, my husband and I were in a record store and came upon Whoopi Goldberg's Broadway show on vinyl. We framed it, and it's hanging up in our listening room to remind me how important Black voices are. 
how important Black women's voices are, how important it is for me to love my hair and my skin, and why it matters that Black women tell our own stories. Whoopi Goldberg, give her a crown. Her with Amina Brown is produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions as a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.